Okay, you ready to go? All right, we are in Ephesians chapter three. We got a lot to cover, so I don't have time to make jokes. You okay? Let's just all laugh on three. One, two, three. <laughs> Let's talk about the Bible. Um, all right, here we go. Ephesians chapter three. We're going to be diving right in. This is about our fifth uh, week in this series. We've covered a lot. I want to encourage you that if you've missed any of this, uh, to go back on our website and listen to some of these uh, services that you've missed. We've covered a lot in the first two chapters of Ephesians. You can also look at us on iTunes because we're really cool and hip and we're on iTunes. Get us some listens, bump us up the charts. Um, so that's always the goal, right? Popular. Um, okay. We talked about a lot of things. We began the series talking about a little bit about Ephesus. We've talked a lot about what God has done for us. We talked a lot about the depth of our sin and understanding that helps us understand the magnitude of God's love for us. We've talked about how God has us. He loves us. He's thankful for us. We've talked about what it would look like to build a type of society that God has called us to. We've, we've covered a lot of stuff in two chapters of Ephesians. The more I study the Bible, I don't know about you, and the more I hear about the Bible, the more I get excited that I get to learn from this book forever. Like, I'm never going to have this thing figured out. And I love that. And I, one of the reasons that I'm a Jesus follower is because I can't figure this book out. And, and so I, I'm always, I want to say to you, a lot of things I say are taken from men who are men and women who have studied more and are a lot smarter than me, okay? I, I'm a, the guy, I think I'm going to get to heaven and I'm going to find out everything that I was wrong about. And I can't wait for that. Like, I can't wait. I'm, I'm going to be the guy going, how'd you do this? How'd you do that? How'd you do this? How'd you do that? And Jesus is going to be like, Paul, take him for a little while. I just can't. <laughs> And I'm going to be like, but what did you mean? Where's Timothy? Get him over here. Get him over here. Get him over here. Like, like I, I can't wait to solve it. And so I really want to encourage you. I, my prayer is that as we go do studies like this, is that these studies would excite, make you a little bit more excited to learn a little bit more about what we have talked about. And one little, we're just scratching the surface here, right, in the book of Ephesians. And so let's dive in and dig a little bit this morning. Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to pick it up in verse 7. You with me? You ready? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this day. I pray that you use your word to do what it does, that it speaks powerfully. God, that you would use it to stir us up. You would use it to convict us, challenge us, correct us, affirm us, and encourage us, Lord. I pray that we walk out of this room a little bit differently than the way we walked in. It's in your name we pray, amen. Ephesians 3, verse 7, it says, I, this is Paul talking about himself, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power, Although I am less than the least of all of God's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. This is a vibrant passage full of like powerful descriptive words. Listen to what kind of, what does it say of Christ? The unsearchable riches of Christ. Verse nine, and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. Just in case you forgot who created everything, Paul wants to clear that up. It was in God. Oh, by the way, he made everything, in case you were wondering. Um, yeah, if you're wondering about that, read more in Acts 19 about Ephesians and Ephesus. It's cool stuff. Verse 10. This is where it gets important for you and me to understand this. When I talk a lot about the Bible, this is why I say that. His, God, meaning God, his intent was that now through the church, you and me, OKC Community Church, God's intent is that we, the manifold wisdom of God, would be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. So if it's God's plan that you and I are the ones who explain the mysteries of this book, what ought we might to read more? The book. Do you agree? That's God's intent. Whose job is it? 
It's not Caleb's job. I'm not smart enough, not even a little bit. Ask my wife. I'm not smart enough to explain this to everyone. It takes us, the church, understanding what this book is. Verse 12, in him and through faith in him, we may approach God with what two words? Freedom and what? Confidence. That should make you feel what when you go before God? Confident, right? Confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings, which are for your glory. Paul has just spent the first two chapters of Ephesians giving instructions and giving encouragement and giving affirmations and and teaching and training and all these things. And all of a sudden, he does something here in chapter three. He steps out of almost the letter and he begins to reflect on himself, right? Paul starts talking about himself. He says, I'm the least of these. I, I shouldn't be doing this stuff. For whatever reason, God's done. Paul has a habit of doing this time and time again. When Paul is training and teaching and learning, he does this thing where he steps back and he reflects upon his own life. In Galatians chapter two, he does this, and he actually mentions a 14-year period in his life. And he just begins to talk about it in Galatians two. He's like, look what's happened the past 14 years of my life. Look at what I've learned. Look at what God has shown me. Look at the passions and desires he's changed. Look at all of this stuff. And I was thinking about that, and I'm like, wouldn't that be crazy if you and I actually did that? Like, what if you stopped? What if you stopped worrying about work tomorrow or what you have to do the moment you leave here and how hungry you are and where you're gonna eat and the plan, things you wanna do tonight before you have to go back to work on Monday and, oh, that's the worst, and get my kids ready for this and they have this report and this report and you know none of their clothes are clean. I haven't done laundry in a week. I just keep rolling the dryer three or four times so I don't have to fold them. Like, you're thinking of all the things you have to do. What if you actually stopped and stepped back and you reflected on what the past 14 years of your life looked like? What have you learned? What has God shown you? What has God brought you out of? How has he changed your path and your plans? What passions do you have now that you didn't have? What if we did? We'll talk about that more later. Let's go on. We're going to start the very first time we, uh, so that's what we're going to do this morning, okay? We're going to start here. We're going to do what Paul did. We're going to step back out of the book of Ephesians, and we're going to look at Paul's life, like an overarching view of Paul's life. Because if Paul continually did this, he stepped back to learn lessons from his life. I thought it might be a good idea if you and I did the same. You all right with that? You okay? We're going to learn about Paul for a little bit because we have uh, five and a half weeks to talk this morning, so we should be able to get through it. Um, We're going to hit on a few events of Paul's life and try to gain a few lessons as Paul did throughout his letters. He continually stepped back. So we're going to do that this morning. And we're going to start with the very first time we meet Paul Uh, The very first time we meet Paul, he went by a different name. Do any of you know it by any chance? He went by the name of Saul. Yeah, he was one of those guys with two names. Pretty cool. Saul. And the very first time we meet Saul, it takes place at an event of the leaders of the Jewish temple, right? And they are gathered with a young Jesus follower named Stephen. And Stephen is proclaiming the name of Jesus and that Jesus was Lord, and they weren't having it. And the louder uh, Stephen proclaimed, the angrier they got until they were like, we're just going to have to kill this guy. And that's literally what they did. And they drug. And as Stephen proclaimed the name of Jesus, the, the leaders of the Jewish temple actually did this in scripture. It says they covered their ears and they began to talk loudly so they couldn't hear Stephen talk about this Jesus. And they drug Stephen in the street to stone him, to gather big rocks and to throw at Stephen until he died. And the very first time we meet them, as they did this and the witnesses of the events gathered to stone Stephen, they took off their jackets And scripture says they took their jackets off to stone Stephen and they laid them down at the feet of a young man named Saul. This is the very first time we're introduced to Saul. He is overseeing the very first murder 
of someone who follows Jesus. And if you skip down to Acts, that's in chapter seven, you skip to Acts chapter eight, verse one, the actually first verse of that chapter, another second mention of Saul, it has, and Saul approved of their killing of him. The apostle Paul, who we hold it, so these are our first two mentions of Paul. His name was Saul. They laid their, feet down, their coats down at the feet of him as they killed Stephen. He approved of their killing. And if you go to Acts chapter 8, verse 3, the next mention of Saul says this, but Saul began to destroy the church. That's the verse. Saul began to destroy the church. He went from house to house, grabbing men and women and ripping them from their homes, dragging them to prison until he can gather enough evidence to kill them too. This is, this is the description of Saul. He's an evil, evil man, and his job, and he thought his role was to exterminate all of those who believed in this Jesus. This is our introduction to this man named Saul. Let's go to Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Here's Saul. He is not finished with his task. It says, meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He has yet to have a good word said about him. Would you agree? It says, uh, verse, there it is. It says, he went to the high priest, verse two, and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, capital W, there it is again. We see it through Acts. We've talked about that. Those people who call themselves Jesus followers, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So he's going through Jerusalem, arresting and murdering anyone he can who believes in this Jesus. And that's not enough for him. He wants to do more. He's like, it's not enough that I exterminate them here. This Jesus is starting to make headways in Damascus. So we got to go there and get all of them. So that's what he does. He gets on the road to Damascus and begins to march this way. Verse three, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed all around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? You know, this is one of those classic Christian stories that if you've grown up in the church at all, you know this story, right? So it kind of just hits this like, oh yeah, this is what happens. But if you actually think about this actually happening, isn't this really insane? Like sometimes we hear stuff in the Bible, we're like, that's crazy, you know? And like, yeah, there's a donkey talked. And I'm like, that was in Shrek. That's crazy. <laughs> like that really happened. Like Paul is walking, or Saul is walking to Damascus to kill a bunch of people and a giant light flashes around him and he can't see anything but this giant white light and he hears a voice come out of it and says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And Saul soils his toga and answers. He says, verse five, who are you, Lord? Saul asked, of course, if, if a white light starts talking to me, I'm gonna call him Lord too. Whatever, and, and here's my wallet and take whatever you want. I got four bucks because, you know, I preach, so. Um, <clears throat> verse five, who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Verse six, now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. Um, if you think you've ever run fast before, <laughs> he said, get up and go to the city. Yeah, which one, where? Uh, yes, okay. Uh, Saul gets up. Now, when this event ends, the voice stops. He says, get up and go to the city. You'll told me what to do. Paul can't see. He has literally scales that have come over his eyes. He's completely blind. And men lead him to the street. They take him to this little house on Straight Street, which I love the details of the Bible. Just so cool. Anytime I see a house like it's on a Straight Street, I'm like, wonder what's going on in there. Um, I don't know. You know, I watch too much Stranger Things, this dimension stuff. Okay. Um, so he goes into this house on Straight Street. 
the Lord comes to this man named Ananias. And he's like, hey, Ananias, there's this dude named Saul. He's chilling in a house on Straight Street. I want you to go there. I want you to tell him about me. And he's like, Saul, okay, yeah, Saul who? He's like, you know, Saul of Tarsus, uh, he's pretty well known. He's like, ooh, what? What do you want me to do? Let's, let's skip down to verse 13. Verse 13 in Acts chapter nine. Uh, I love this. This is Ananias' answer. He goes, uh, Lord, Ananias answered, <laughs> I have heard many reports about this man. He's like trying to, you know, spell it out. He's like, how do I word this to God why I shouldn't do this? How do I form my argument? Maybe God can help the brain that he gave me argue against him. Um, Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, go. This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Verse 17, then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, brother Saul, the Lord, and I love this little part, it's like that little dash, Jesus, like just in case you forgot, you know, Jesus, the one who you were doing all these things. And so it's like this like backhanded comment. He's like, Saul, the Lord, Jesus, just so you know. It's the guy you're trying to kill everyone for. Who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell off Saul's eyes and he began to see. And for the next three years, Paul hung out in this city and he began learning and growing and began preaching the name of Jesus to anyone who would listen to him. And he changed his name from Saul to Paul. Um, Friends, there is a lie that we have all believed at one time or another. Or we actually, I believe there are people in this room who actually currently believe this lie. That there is something you have done, something you are currently struggling with, something going on that actually disqualifies you from receiving the love of Jesus. There is actually a lie going on in this room that there are things that you have experienced, done, or are currently struggling with that somehow disqualify you, separate you, make you unavailable to receive the grace and mercy of Jesus. And that is a lie. And you need to believe me. If Jesus can meet Saul on the way to Damascus to murder more believers, a man who is described as someone who is destroying the church and offer them the grace, it is available for you today too. Saul, Paul was very aware of who he was. What did he say in Ephesians 3? I am the least of the least. There's the bottom and then there's me. You see, we elevate Paul to what? The highest place, right? No one, none of, nothing we do could ever match what Paul did. And Paul was so aware of who he was and he wasn't aware of who that was in shame See, Paul was aware of who he was and the things he struggled with and the sin in his life because it made him more confident about what God had made him into and what God was calling him to be. This is why Paul says things like, I am a new creation. The old is dead. It's gone. I am brand new. He was confident in what God had called him to be because he was aware of what he had done. This is about your identity. And friends, if you are living a life that's about you and you have plans and you're doing these things, I'm here to tell you that God has more for you and you are convincing yourself of reasons not to say yes to Jesus because there are things that you are currently struggling with. And you may be out there saying, Caleb, you don't know me. You don't know what I've struggled with and how deplorable it is. And I would say that Jesus paid the bill in full. 
So that's nonsense. The grace and the mercy of Jesus is here and at hand. And if you're in this room and you've never said yes to Jesus, then he's waiting on the road to Damascus. And he is saying, there's nothing you could do to ever separate you from the love that I have. Nothing. Say yes to Jesus. All of these events happened in Acts chapter 9 around the year 33 AD. And um, from about 33 to 36, uh, Paul began his little bit of ministry, learning how to preach and began preaching to everyone who could hear it. I want to fast forward uh, about 11 years from year 36 to a 10-year span in Paul's life. Uh, These are what we call Paul's traveling years, okay? For about 10 years, Paul took three trips. He wrote four letters, and he talked to a lot of people. Uh, We call these Paul's mission trips. We have a slide up here. Uh, I'm not going to break this slide down because it's blurry, and I can only see half the things anyways. Um, And so it would take too too much time. Um, Some of you are getting it now. Uh, If you don't know, just bump them and tell them. It's not a lazy eye. It's glass. Okay. Okay, here's it broken down. In black here, this little black line up here, that's Paul's first missionary journey. The blue one, if you can see it, kind of goes up around that area. That's his second missionary journey. The uh, one in red is his third, and that green one was Paul's voyage to Rome. Uh, It ends there for reasons we'll talk about later. Um, There it is. So uh, I want to break this down a little bit on what happened in these so you can kind of understand. The year 47 to 48, okay? Paul takes his first missionary journey. He goes with Barnabas. He goes to Cyprus. It's that black line, okay, up here. He goes to Cyprus and Galatia, okay? From the year 49 to 52, he goes on his second missionary journey. That's the blue line. You can get this on your phone. It's a lot more interesting, okay? Uh, He goes with a guy named Silas. Him and Barnabas have a disagreement, and they uh, just say, hey, peace out. I'll see you in heaven someday. Um, What's a whole nother message? Uh, They go through Asia Minor and Greece. He finally chills in Corinth right around there. And he writes a couple of letters. He writes letters to the Thessalonians. We would know those as first and second. Thessalonians. Ooh, you guys know your Bible. Okay, good job. Um, In the year 52, he visits Jerusalem and Antioch. He goes back there and chills. And then he begins his third missionary journey from Antioch. Uh, He goes to Ephesus for a while. While in Ephesus, he writes letters to the Galatians and to the Corinthians. Those end up in our Bible that are in front of me right here. From 55 to 57, he travels through Greece, up through what they think is Yugoslavia, probably. Um, And then he writes his letters to the Romans, what we call the Book of Romans. So for for uh, 10 years, he takes three trips, writes four letters, and talks to a lot of people. All these little cities he hits and begins preaching the word of the Lord and writing his book. And all of his travels influence why he wrote this book. Now, Paul went on three trips and wrote four letters from the year 47 to 57. We are talking about those three trips on November 12th at 10.23 a.m. in 2017. Had I told Paul that if you go on these three trips, they will be talking about it in the year 2017 in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, would he believe you? He'd say, what's in Oklahoma? I thought the earth was flat, just like the NBA players do. He had no idea. All he did was do what God told him to do. And here we are, almost 2,000 years later, talking about what he did. You see, the Bible indicates this. It says things in there, like Jesus says, hey, you know what you guys will do, OKC community? You will do even greater things than I. And we go, (laughs) no, we won't. Those are verses we love to read, but we don't actually believe them. 
This is why Habakkuk writes, well, it's like if I had to have a life verse, it would probably be in Habakkuk. He says, look at the nations, watch and be utterly amazed for I am doing something in your day, something so great, you wouldn't believe it even if I told you. If you were to tell Paul, if you just go to Corinthians and you go talk to the Galatians, that we're gonna be talking about the greatness of your Lord Jesus and what he did on the road to Damascus and what he can do in the lives of people for 2,000 years. He wouldn't believe you. But that's the power we have when we actually do what God's called us to do. When my dad was in college, he was a junior in college. Um, he was a, um, a just a, a, a full-on drug addict hippie. Um, if you think 1970s Woodstock hippie, like, just get that stereotypical image in your head. Get it right now, close your eyes, see that? That's my dad, okay? Uh, uh, looked like he, my dad did drugs every day for about three years and, never, and didn't have a day where he didn't do one. Um, he had the long, ratty hair, like down uh, just, just above the cheeks in the back. He had to rock the bandana all over his head, had the bell bottoms, you know what I mean? He was a, he was a rough dude. And... Um, one day, he was driving back to campus in OSU, back to his house to keep partying, and uh, had done drugs that morning, felt like he was okay enough to drive, so he gets on the highway and starts driving. Super smart guy, let me tell you. Uh, he had a road to Damascus moment, and he, he said, I was driving down the road, and I felt the Lord say to me, Scott, if you say no to me right now, I will never bother you again. And he was scared. And he pulled off to the road, and... He said, I'm, I'm going to say yes. He was terrified. The only thing he had ever heard of that was remotely anything of God was the Baptist Student Union, the BSU. He had never been there. He was at Oklahoma State. He had never been there, didn't know where it was. And my dad said, I was talking to him over this last night. I was like, I want to get the details right. He said, I turned off Highway 1. I took two turns, and I was in the parking lot. I had never seen the building before in my life. It was a Sunday night. I walked in, and the place was empty. And I was looking for everyone, and he goes, because all these church people were at church. What are they doing? And I was like, going to church. And um, so he said, I walked around the building looking for anyone to talk to. He said, I had to talk to somebody. I needed to talk to somebody. And he said, I saw a light at the end of the hallway. He said, I remember it was the last, last room on the right. A little light was on. And he said, I rounded the corner, and there sat this college student named Bob Martin. And I said, you probably scared him to death. And he goes, he goes oh, he was terrified. And he said... And Bob was sitting there studying. Bob had skipped church that night. He needed to study for a test, and he was sitting there studying. And he's this clean-cut guy. He said, he had son, he had short hair, shorter than you. I said, thanks for acknowledging I have hair. Um, he goes, he was sitting there studying, and I said, can I talk to you? And he goes, looked up, and he said, yeah. He said, what do you need? And he said, I think I just became, what do you, uh, he goes, a Christian? He said, I think so. And Bob put his books up and began to talk to my dad for about an hour just to share him some verses of assurance, what happens when you pray. And he said, and then a bunch of church kids walked in after they got out of church, and I got out of there. I was so uncomfortable. <laughs> um, they all looked at me like I was there to rob them, and so I left. And um, Bob invited my dad back Tuesday night. Uh, that's when the BSU gathered for their college service. And my dad was standing on the back wall, and he said, um, it was the 70s, so you know, you had people who looked like they went to church, and then you had people who did drugs who looked like me. And um, that's what he said. I went back to my house that Sunday night, and everyone was doing drugs, and they all... Uh, I walked straight to my room and I locked the door and I just sat on his bed and he, he, about, they got a Bible and he just read it as much as he could for two days. And he went back Tuesday night and he was standing on the back wall. Funny enough, he met my mom that night, my little sweet mother who's never said a bad word, never looked at anyone the wrong way. They're hilarious. Um, but uh, he's standing on the back wall and he said, and here came uh, a smiley guy 
walked right up to me, and his name was Terry Armstrong. And Terry looked at me and said, Scott, um, I heard about what happened. My dad's like, mm-hmm. Uh, and he goes, would you like to meet with me uh, once a week and just talk about you know, this stuff and try to learn a little bit? And my dad said, yes, I would. My dad didn't know anything. And here's this junior in college walking up to this drug-addicted hippie because God was telling him, Terry, go talk to him. And he did. I was talking to my dad this week as I was preparing this message, and I said, Dad, how many people do you think you've led to the Lord in your 40s? My dad's a pastor now. Um, he went into ministry in the mid-90s, been doing it since he was Christian, though. And he goes, I don't know, son, I haven't kept count. I was like, give me the most conservative number you could think of. He said, I've probably prayed with 100 people to receive Christ. I said, how many people have you discipled? And he goes, well, Terry discipled me for two years. That, that kid, college kid, met with my dad every week for two years, by the way, every week. My dad said, I've discipled, I don't know, hundreds, hundreds and hundreds. I said, how many of them have led somebody to the Lord? I don't know. I said, let's get the lowest estimation we can. Let's just be as low and conservative as we possibly can. How many people have given their hearts to Jesus as a direct influence because of Scott Kenny? And he goes, lowest number we could think of, 350 people. 350 people's eternities are changed because Terry Armstrong did what God told him to do. He walked out to a guy who for two years had not had a day that he'd not done drugs and said he gave his life to Jesus. Like we hear a lot of people who live lives like this, who decide to follow Jesus and we're like, yeah, until you want to do drugs again. But he didn't think that about Scott Kinney. God told him to do something and so he did it. Had I gone to Terry and said, Terry, if you just meet with Scott, if you just meet with Scott for two years, 350 people will give their lives to Jesus. Would he have believed you? No. He had every reason not to meet with my dad. He had every reason to say, this guy's going to be in and out of drugs. He's going to fall off. I mean, I'm not going to waste my time. He's going to skip a week. But no, he was committed to do it. God called him to do something, so he did it. And because of that low end, 350 people have come to know Jesus. If I am up here, me up here, if I've ever said anything from this stage or in a conversation that has meant anything to you at all, even 1%, it's because Terry Armstrong met with my dad because he did what God told him to do because he didn't listen to the thousands of reasons that you and I listen to every day that convince us not to do what God is actually calling us to do. All of those reasons we should say no and we believe them and don't do what God's called us to do, who knows the lasting impact that could have on the world? When he says you will do even greater things than I, and you wouldn't believe it even if I told you, that's what I'm talking about. Because one college student, one 20-year-old decided to meet with a hippie. I'm, I'm up here this morning talking to you about Ephesians chapter three because Terry met with my dad. I friended him on Facebook last night. I sent him a message. I said, I've never met you. or I just want to tell you thank you. Thank you for meeting with my dad in the 70s. Thank you for not saying no. Because you didn't say no, the word of Jesus is going to be preached tomorrow in Oklahoma City. Because he didn't say no. That's why you go. That's why you don't convince yourself to say no to what Jesus is calling you to do. That's why when he gives you an opportunity, you step in and you say, yes, Lord, and do whatever it is who knows the impact it could have? 
All that matters is the kingdom of God is advanced through you and I. And that only happens if we say yes. Paul went on three trips, wrote four letters, and we're still talking about it. And Jesus says, we can do even greater things. What is stopping us? Friends, there's God is calling you to do things right now in your life. And you don't even have to think about it. I could give you space in a minute to think about the things that God's calling you to do, but you know them. You know who God's been telling you to reach out to. You know the marriages that are hurting around you that you need to pour into. You know those in your life that don't know Jesus. You know that person at work that's struggling. You know those people in this room that are walking through garbage that you should reach out to. Stop convincing yourselves not to do it. Who knows the lasting impact it could have? Who knows how far the kingdom could be advanced because of what you and I say yes to? That's the power of the message of Jesus. Amen? You fast forward a couple years. Paul is arrested again. <laughs> He's always finding himself in jail. He's a good dude, that Paul. And he writes a couple more letters, and he's done. He writes a letter to Timothy and to Titus. And in 2 Timothy 4, he writes this. It's his final charge. And you know, I just want to say this. Friends, for those of us who have been in church a long time, I've been in church a long time, whole life. I've heard lots of sermons. And you know, it's not on purpose. But when you follow Jesus for six months, a year, two years, we like sermons that we hear, but they too often go in one ear and out the other and have no effect on us. And it's not because it's negative. It's because we're living life and we're fallen people and things become routine, right? Scripture becomes routine. Prayer life becomes routine. And I think that's why Paul wrote this final charge. Right before Paul's life ends, he writes this. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 4. Verse one it says, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead in the view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. You hear that? That's not a suggestion, friends. This is a charge from Paul to you and me. Verse two, preach the word. We can't preach the word if we don't know the word, church. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. I love encouraging you. That's super fun. I don't like correcting or rebuking and talking about things that are hard. That's not fun to do. And here's the thing. I'll never talk about anything I don't struggle with. I am the least of the least. Caleb Kinney stands in front of you as a sinner who's been saved by the grace of Jesus. And I don't deserve any of this. I am the least of the least. That I assure you. I don't want to just encourage you. I want to correct and rebuke because too much is on the line. Too much is on the line for us to keep saying no. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come, and, and friends, if this isn't 2017, I don't know what is. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and they will turn aside to myths. But you, OKC Community Church, you keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. Verse six, Paul is emptying himself out. For I am being poured out 
like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I have kept the faith. Now there's in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And here's this, listen to this. Not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Amen. Hallelujah. I don't want to, I don't know when my time's going to be up here in this church. I don't know when my time's going to be up in this world. But I want to go out fighting the good fight. I want to finish the race. I want to keep the faith. I don't want to let the fact that I'm here every Sunday or somewhere every Sunday, or I've been places a lot, let services like this come in one ear and out the other. I don't want my faith to become stagnant as I get older. I don't want to become passive. I don't want to become less passionate. I don't want to finish the race that way. I don't want to get to heaven being half full still. I want to be poured out. I want Caleb Kinney to live, die, be totally forgotten, in the name of Jesus be known a little bit more because I existed. I want to be poured out. Friends, don't you? Don't you want to say no to being passive, no to becoming stagnant? I want to be patient. I want to be prepared in season and out of season. I want to do the work of an evangelist. I want to preach the word because it's a fire in my bones that I can't keep in. I want to say yes to Jesus. I want to say yes to what he's called me to. I want to fight the good fight. I want to keep the face. I want to finish the race well. Don't you? So we have just scratched the surface of Paul's life. I mean, 0.001%. And there are lessons to be learned from it. Would you agree? See, I think this is why Paul continually reflected back on his life. In Ephesians and Galatians, he keeps looking back because if he keeps looking back and sees what God has done, he becomes more confident to say yes than whatever God has is his next step. I've seen what you've done, God, so I'm going to say yes to the next step because I'm confident where you're going to take me. That's what I want to challenge you to do this week, church. I want you to look at the past 14 years of your life. I want you to get a pen out and a journal, and I want you to write things down. What has God shown you? How has he changed your heart? What valleys has he pulled you out of? What has he rescued you from? What passions do you have today you didn't have before? And my prayer is you would share those with your spouse. You would share those with your children. You would share those with your best friends. You would get on the phone. You would get together for coffee. Let's talk about what God has done because I believe that will make us more confident in what he's calling us to next. Friends, that's my question. What is God's next step for you? What is it? And will you say yes to that step? Maybe you're in here today and your next step is saying yes to Jesus to finally stop fighting it and to say yes to Jesus, to stop convincing yourself you're not qualified. The love of God is for everyone else, but not me. I've done too much. Stop believing the lie and say yes to Jesus. Say yes today. Take the next step and say yes. He has a life full of life. He wants to meet you on the road to Damascus and change everything about everything for you. Say yes to him today. Maybe your next step is saying yes to what God is calling you to do. 
God's calling you to have a conversation with someone, calling you to reach out to somebody, calling you to meet with somebody every week, calling you to step into something. Whatever God is calling you to do, stop convincing yourself of reasons to say no and realize we're still talking about Paul's trips, realizing what Terry did for my dad is why I'm telling you this today. What could happen if you just said yes to whatever God is calling you to do? What could happen? Say yes. Stop saying no. Say yes. Maybe you're in here this morning and you've heard a lot of sermons just like this one. And it was good. And it was fine. And that's all it was. Your next step is saying yes to Jesus that I want to fight the good fight. I don't want to just walk through my life anymore. I don't want to finish my life out just doing good things. I want to be full of passion. I want to keep the faith. I want to fight the good fight. I want to finish the race well. Say yes to that this morning. Say, I'm not satisfied with how I'm going through things. I want to finish well. I want to be filled with passion. I want to be prepared in season and out of season. I want to do, I want to preach. I want to see people come to know Jesus. Would you say yes to that? I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I always pray that people would never react to anything that I say, but we would respond to what the Lord is calling us to do. And I want to invite you to say yes this morning. We're going to have a prayer team up here that would love to pray with you. We have people that, here's what I want to do. I just want you to be really honest with yourself. There's no shame here. Paul wasn't ashamed. 